All right. Welcome to West Virginia Uncommonplace. Today, I have a special guest with me. And, and guys, I, I want to go back and, and do that intro one more time for the simple fact uh, we're doing this little amateur thing nowadays where uh, I repeat the same thing over and over. So I'll go back and do that one more time, guys. Here we go. Uh, welcome to West Virginia Uncommonplace. Today, I have a spectacular guest with me, Stormy Lewis. She has amazing titles underneath her belt. I will let her explain to you what she does, how she functions, and how she moves around the world, um, even though this world right now is really chaotic. So, Stormy, the floor is yours. Please tell everybody about the titles that you have. You're an author. You're a host. You're a mom. You're everything. Tell us about yourself. I am a multi-published author on Amazon, and I am a new podcast host to the Bookish Chatter um, that covers a, a author's journey. Um, I bring on experts to kind of help new authors not feel so alone just because my first book, it was such a horrible experience. I felt so isolated and alone. So that's why I started my podcast. Um, I am the story sharing guru. Apparently um, my clients like to call me that uh, because I work with people to help publish their stories as well, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, I'm a mom to two furry cats, and I am a daughter of an inspiring author. Um, I'm helping my dad publish his two books this year as well. Um, and yeah, we're all storm chasers, and I always call my Nana is the original storm chaser, and I'm just kind of carrying on the legacy. <laughs> okay, so let's get right into it. What is a story sharing guru? What is that? So basically, um, it's an expert in sharing stories. Uh, we all have stories. Even as a kid, I was I was born bipolar, and books were my saving grace. So they kind of helped me escape the craziness going on inside of my head that I didn't know about because I wasn't officially diagnosed until I was about 22. So books were kind of a way that if my brain was racing too much with the ADHD or mania, I could read all night and not get into trouble. And if I was too depressed to get out of bed, uh, books were kind of my escape of what I was feeling at the time. Because uh, growing up as a kid and being bipolar, not knowing that uh, bipolar disorder is really a chemical imbalance where you can't control your emotions all the time. And it seemed like kids figured out how to push my buttons to kind of make me erupt. And then it became a game for them. So it sometimes it was hard growing up. Uh, and books were just kind of there for me. And by the second grade, I'd read every book in the library. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I was a very avid reader. And that later inspired me when it was time to share my story of baking, breaking my people-pleasing addiction and walking away from an abusive, toxic marriage. Uh, the very first thing I thought of was to write, write it out and share it with the world. And then I didn't write for a little while and then COVID hit and I needed to find a balance with the negativity and the chaos going on around us and losing family members. And uh, so I started playing with a fiction story that I started writing in like middle school. And now it has become 
the Sophie Lee trilogy that uh, book two comes out on May 14th. Book one's already out, The Key, The Protector's coming out. And then uh, Dead Draw will be on my birthday at the end of this year in November. And so by sharing my story and coming out as being bipolar and you know some of the great things and not so great things I've experienced, I just believe that especially like bipolar disorder, it has such a negative stigmatism to it. And the more we share our stories, the more it takes away those negative levels and labels to them. And so I just uh, kind of coach people into taking their story and whether it's publishing, it, most of it's publishing a book on Amazon, um, things of that nature. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the expert of having you dig deep down and share those stories, whether it's fiction or nonfiction to change someone's life. Okay, now let's go back a little bit because you said something that uh, caught my attention. And um, the one thing that you said that caught my attention, you can go over to your website if you don't mind plugging it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chasing Stormy, and that's Stormy with an I, thanks to my dad, <laughs> dot com. Uh, and yeah, I do uh, story sharing coaching. You'll see my books on there and you'll see access to my podcast and you'll see um, my backstory of being crazy as a kid and using it as an asset as an adult. <laughs> All right, so the one thing I want to dab into is the people pleaser. Yeah. How, so, how, did, how did that start for you? Because uh, I, I always put a little bit of twist in it and, and tie it all back around to me real quick. Um, because like I lear learned, uh, I wasn't an entertainer to people when I was a kid, Comed comedic, uh -huh. whatever, just some type of comic relief. And I didn't know that that was people pleasing uh, to gain a certain type of attention that I necessarily didn't have to possess, but I need, but I wanted. Right. So, so when did your start and how did this all happen for you with people pleasing? Very early on. Um, I actually, as a kind of not the best survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. Well, I couldn't control my emotions all the time and I couldn't control those outbursts. And so I went the other way of trying so hard to control what, how other people perceive me. So I sacrificed myself in anything. And like my mom would tell me, cause the kids at the dance studio, cause I was a dancer too, but the kids mm -hmm. at the dance studio would kind of be like, they, they would torture me and bully me a little bit um, because again it was funny for them if I erupted abruptly and uh, you know she would be like you're doing this to yourself and I just had it convinced inside my head that I could make them like me for the real me I just had to figure it out so that actually it wasn't even a people-pleasing habit by the time I got to my early 20s and early 30s. It was a, such an addiction. Like you said, you need that recognition. You need to know that people like you. And as a part of the bipolar disorder, a lot of my thoughts in my head that aren't necessarily mine as I like to view it, it's all negative. And it is, this world would be better off without you. I mean, it can go to the lowest of lows or just you're not worth enough. And so this is a daily battle that I deal with. So to overcompensate it, I was like, I can make everybody love me. <laughs> right. It, so, it's a, to yeah. me, it was like a, it was a codependency on the praise. 
Right. I had it a, really had a lot to do with that praise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the codependency sometimes got so uh, intoxicating that you feel good. And then uh, we deal with these two factors alone and then loneliness. Exactly. Those, those two right there hand in hand. Because when, when everybody's gone, or as I always say, when all the bright lights are off and everything's done, it's you in four corners. Right. You know, and that's the hardest concept people get. And um, I have a mother that has bipolar disorder. So I watched her and I didn't yeah. know necessarily what it was called until I got older. And I have a, a found respect for it. not a therapist or anything like that, I have no type of background, but I do understand where you're coming from because yeah. I always tell people, you know, uh, and we always base it on Robin Williams. I think everybody. Yeah, a lot I, of people because he was one of the first ones to come out. Yeah. And you've seen how much and how energetic and how caring he was for the world, but he really probably didn't feel, well, we don't know how he felt, but we assume that he didn't feel like the world cared about him. Yeah, you you have good days and you have bad days. And when you're manic, you're, you feel like you're invincible and you're high on the world. And uh, it's a lot easier to convince yourself that people love you. But when you're hurting so bad that you can't even get out of bed, that's when you really have to convince yourself you're worth enough no matter the voices going on inside your head and I say voices it's thoughts it's not like schizophrenia but somehow at a young age I really characterized it as a completely different character just like any multiple character book and so I knew that it wasn't really who I was and it took me a long time to not view it as a curse that it is a part of me, but it doesn't define me. And so that's why I spend so much time working with other people, trying to um, work with them, no matter what their story is, to get it out. Because you don't know how you're going to change somebody's life. Even by putting out my fiction books, my dad, who is 65 now, decided that he was going to do it too. And that's great. (laughs) You know, so you really don't know what your book is going to inspire. And so that's the really cool thing about sharing your story. And I agree with that. Now, let's go back over a little bit. Let's go back into the Sophie Lee trilogy. Can you please give the audience a quick description of the books, the books that are out right now or in the one that is going to be released, but not the future one, because the future one, we want to leave a little mystery, mysterious uh, nature behind it. (laughs) So so the floor is yours. Yeah. So um, Sophie was kind of my version of an emergent uh, imaginary friend. Like she really comes out and she stands for everything. She puts the bullies in their place. Um, But the story, this is, a trilogy of Sophie's life. So the first book is the key. And early on, you find out that she's running from these bad men, but then she gets hit by a van saving James and she gets amnesia. So a lot of the book is trying to figure out who Sophie is, who was after her. And it turns out that her dad gave her a key. And so they're trying to figure out where the key is, what it does, um, while these assassins are somehow after her, and you find out that her parents were murdered by the man with the cane when she was like 10, and she was taken away to kind of learn how to, her parents, her mom seemed to have been like some sort of CIA agent, and her dad was a scientist, and this man with the cane wants Sophie to help him take over the world. 
um, and whatever this key she has, but without the memories, she doesn't know what that is. So that's a lot of what the key is. And you find that she comes across uh, James and his friend, Tina and Ben. And so it's about recognizing family that is blood and also people that can come into your life and also become your family. Um, and then the protector, you pick it up where um, she's kind of learning. You, you notice in the first book, she's faster than she should be and she can hear better than she should be able to. So by the second one, you find out that she's been genetically altered and you figure out, you find out how and, and how that all came to be. And the second book really goes back to um, building the backstories of all the different characters. So even the man with the cane, you find out he's been a psychopath since he was a toddler. Uh, he snapped his dog's neck and laughed and thought it was great. Like, <laughs> he's, he's just a really bad guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Sophie kind of really has to come to terms with that much like I had to view bipolar wasn't a curse. She has to now come to terms with all these alterations that took place against her say isn't necessarily a curse, but now she's figuring out how to make it an asset to keep her loved ones safe. So that's kind of her journey in the second book. Um, but the, there's a dream realm where people that die can really interact with Sophie. It's the one playing field where it really emphasizes that loved ones never truly leave you so they can really interact with her. And the problem is, is that the man with the cane is learning how to break the rules so he can access her brain as well. Oh. Um, so yeah, so it's becoming a massive mental and physical fight, which is going to be, of course, the last book. All right. Now you said the last book, or is this truly the ending or is it just the creative will to stop him from? I guess you'll have to read it and find out. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that one. I like that one. Okay. Now here, here we go. You're a story sharing guru. Mm -hmm. So inside this, you have to help people break down barriers. And people put up barriers to protect themselves. Because I put them up. I am a very um, great person to interview on people. I can talk to you all day. But the one thing that uh, is very scarce of me is I rarely do actual interviews of myself on other people's podcasts. Because... I have barriers, I protect myself, and I don't let anybody break those fortified walls because they're built a little bit more than Ford Tough. <laughs> so. Understand completely. Um, for the people that I tend to work with, those walls are already starting to crumble a little bit. They know okay. that they have a story that needs to be told, but a lot of people have the misconception that it's super expensive to publish on Amazon. And that is not the case. I ha I still live off of the uh, paying student loans back ramen noodle budget. <laughs> oh, well, so, so let me ask you, are you, are you helping people through KDP? Uh, yeah, so we utilize KDP um, because that's what I use. Um, so I take people that spend a lot of time kind of writing those excuses. It costs too much. No, it doesn't. We can get around that. I don't know how to market. I don't have a marketing degree. I, I have two and it's a completely different world. I'll show you how to do it. Not a big deal. Um, there are people that say, you know, my life is crazy. Um, and I will let you know that you can, 
I had consistently published a book every six months, working full time, taking care of an elderly family member, helping my family out and doing all of these other things that I do, like the podcast and everything else. So, and I've got the crazy brain going on. So if I can do it, I promise you, you can do it. And so it's not just about showing them the steps. It's kind of being that pocket cheerleader when you're struggling. Um, I'm the go-to girl. Um, it's a great way for me to utilize those people-pleasing skills that I had developed, like <laughs> you said, where you entertain people to kind of release their stress. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I utilize a lot of that uh, because again, your story matters and you have no idea what child or even teen or an adult is waiting for you to share your story because maybe they haven't found their author yet. And by holding on to your story, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to others. Okay. I like that answer. And that answer, like that flows in tight, that, that makes me want to get you to help me if I ever write a book. I'm telling you, I got you. <laughs> okay. Now, um, here's the thing. Everybody has a story to tell. And some people like me, for instance, I'm a folklore type person. You'll hear my story by a campfire. But um, the way that you help people out, you have tier packages and different ways to help them that they can find over on your website, which is? Chasingstormywithanei.com. All right. Now let's go into the, the social media aspect. How can people reach you? Because we all know that this weird thing in the world is you can have a website all day long, but some people never leave Facebook or Instagram or wherever. So how can they find you outside of your um, webpage or website? Right. Um, so I am on Facebook, but not very often. Um, I will tell you, I camp out on Instagram more than anything. Um, I too need to be better and we'll be learning about Pinterest, um, and things like that. But I really camp out on Instagram for my mental health, because I kind of, the reason why I avoid Facebook a little bit is I feel like people have more of a tendency to be negative or rough on there. Um, and I'm going through some personal stuff. So I really have to kind of safeguard that. And there is such a amazing book and author community on Instagram. So you'll find me on Instagram under the story sharing guru. My clients keep calling me that and it's kind of a fun title. So I share that as a part of my brand now. Okay. Um, and I am cleaning I'm I'm coming back to Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be better at uh, sharing my random thoughts. It's just, I have so many. <laughs> right. So, so let me get into more in depth. Uh, we always skip Tumblr because nobody knows what goes on on Tumblr. That's for people. That's for people on the other side yeah. of the, the bridge on that yeah. one. Um, what about TikTok? Has TikTok grabbed you yet? And uh, everybody keeps telling me I need to get on TikTok. Um, and I probably will venture on there. Um, I do have a profile on there, but I haven't played with the videos yet. I do know that a large part of my target market is there. Um, it's yes. kind of hard for me though, because everybody dances and I used to be an avid dancer, but since my back injury, like my body still thinks it can do things that it really can't. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just trying to find the best balance. Um, whenever you're marketing for stuff to really take away the stress and the anxiety i always say to just kind of there's so many possibilities out there but to focus on the things that bring you the most joy so 
I've been on Instagram since the first book of the key came out and I actually came out as an author. So I kind of focused on building my brand there. Um, this year, I think I'm going to be branching out, but I am never one to take on too much of the world because if I get overwhelmed, then I can't really help all the people that I want to help. So I will start leaking into, uh, sneaking into Twitter a little bit more because um, I know that's where a lot of my people are. And TikTok and Pinterest are definitely on my list. Of and don't forget, uh, what's the other one that everybody else, everybody forgets about? Uh, starts with an L. Um, uh, oh, LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's another one that people. I know everybody's hanging out on LinkedIn. Like I said, for me, for my mental health, I really like to grow slowly. I I don't have a team. It is just me. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I will tell you this one thing, and this is one thing that I do for everybody. I tell them. Um, I have a very odd following because I, I have like like everyone is that listens to podcasts. My strong listener base is not my Instagram base, but I am on Instagram. I have a mechanism called Hootsuite that I use to post yeah. everything, and I uh, with my ads that I have to do for Canva, for instance, Canva has taken over the Hootsuite position. So now yeah, whatever I, I develop that. there, I can just take it from there and just. So Hootsuite's yep. out, of, out of commission for me. So I will not be spending much. Well, it's getting warm anyway out here in West Virginia. So yeah. um, I'll be outside a little bit more, you know, pending right. regulations for this and that and all that. So I do get where you're coming from from that. Now, um, the major question that everybody asked, uh, you answered pretty much a, a little bit about the creative process in writing. This writer's block. <laughs> so many you have to understand this i talked to it didn't that i talked to a thousand authors but everyone has a different way of dealing with uh yep. writer block it's an ankle sprain but the ankle sprain could be high low in the medium or anywhere so yep. how do you deal with writer's block you know this is funny because i also ask every author that comes on my podcast because it, it fascinates me the different answers that come from this i personally and I don't know if it comes from being a dancer, but writer's block is really putting too much pressure on yourself. And it clamps down your creativity because you are putting too much pressure on yourself. So to set myself up for success, I purposely do things to make sure that I don't reach that spot as often. But for me, um, if I do get stuck, um, you'll see me, like you said, it's warming up. I will start walking around the apartment complex and I will talk out whatever part of my story that I'm struggling on. So it probably does look like I'm a schizophrenic walking around the neighborhood having conversations with myself. Um, I also have go-to people. So I have go-to authors that I'll go on Instagram. Um, Lucy Ataya is one of them, uh, Santana Sanders. Uh, Victoria McCombs and I'll be like I'm stuck <laughs> or it's been funny because this series not only did it inspire my dad to write his own books but unintentionally my parents kind of became my creative writing team and my mother actually wrote the ending of the third book while I was still writing the first and I had to keep reminding her we gotta finish this one first <laughs> So um, I'll be working and get text messages of, hey, what about this? What if Sophie does this? What if James does this? And so uh, it's kind of become a, a family affair. But yeah, so when I get stuck, I go to either my go-to people, but I also 
kind of talk things out and move and walk around because that really helps me get things going and I can relax. I'm not putting so much pressure on myself. But yeah, writer's block really is only you freaking yourself out is okay. what it really is. And I want to thank you for walking us through your mental exercise because some people uh, are very tight-knit in their answers and they'll give me a choreographed answer. And yours, oh, no. yours sound like I, it looked... You know. I'll put on my earbuds. I will be, um, even when I'm walking outside, I probably look so crazy to everybody and I'll be like 80s dancing up and down the sidewalk or I do it in here in the living room. Um, yeah. Now, and that's the thing. I think, I don't know if it's generational or not. I think that some people feel like if they give their secrets away, then you know everybody will get rich or whatever and it's that kind of older mentality of you have to hold on to your stuff or somebody will steal it but i i try to always you know if i if i can share and help you not pull out all of your hair um and we can all have more hair on our head together as a society then i'm good with it <laughs> <laughs> okay okay now let's jump into your podcast bookish chatter yes it is on apple Podcasts, which that's a good one for me um yep. and we won't say anything about them because they do things behind the scenes so we'll leave that alone for me <laughs> on that one but i will say this um can you tell the audience about your podcast because uh me and you spoke earlier and the audience always like to give you a little inside information um i never do pre-calls i don't i don't fashion this podcast to uh give uh, anything but a set of, uh, I call them preliminary questions. And then I have extra questions and things in there. So it's, it's yeah. like, I kind of, kind of like a, a dog, for instance, you kind of rub them for a little bit, but you don't let them know that you're going to send them out into the ocean to go swim. So that's kind of how I do things. So um, it, 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 uh, inside your, your podcast, uh, the one thing that's amazing is I like how you have versatility author, uh, and inside of your coaching, there, there seems like there's some life coaching skills in there also. Uh, the storytelling, story sharing guru portion of what you're doing. But the podcasting, that's, that's something that's different because with all that stuff, you know, going on besides the podcast, it's amazing that you're still able to do that. So could you let the audience know about the frequency of it and anywhere else beyond Apple Podcasts that they can, can hear it? Yeah, so it is, uh, it is on Apple, it is on Spotify, it's on Google, it's on Breaker, I don't know what that is, it's on Radio Public, I don't know what that is either, I'll be honest, um, I do it through Anchor, um, oh, it yeah. was, yes, user friendly, I love that app, um, and it's kind of funny, uh, so I had the idea, because I am like you, I can talk to just about anybody, um, and people tend to have to cut me off. <laughs> it's funny because as a kid, I used to never really talk um, about personal things. And then I had to start going to therapy for bipolar disorder when I got diagnosed. And that poor therapist probably hated me because she would ask me all these questions and I would just give yes, no answers because we don't, it's not a topic we talk about in my family even to today. Um, so some things, it, it, I just grew up in a very kind of private mentality. Um, so I, when I published my first book, I had no idea what the heck I was doing. Um, in fact, all the books that were out at the time in 2017, when I published my first nonfiction book, uh, Surviving the Storm, I 
push publish and then was like, okay, now what? And there wasn't really anybody sharing again. I don't know if it's generational, but nobody wanted to share how to keep going. Um, and it was kind of like, I, I, and I hate those programs where people are like, if you're not going to spend $6,000, $10,000, with me, then you're not taking this seriously. Well, no, I just have a very tiny budget. Right. <laughs> and so I was, I, it was so alone and such a like lonesome journey and it doesn't need to be. So when I went to go do my uh, fiction series, I thought there's got to be a better way. And somebody said, get on Instagram. And I was like, what? And then I realized really quickly, um, I came out and I was like, all right, I'm going to write a book. I lost my mind. Here we go. And all these people were coming out of the woodworks and I've made so many supportive author friends. And I, you know, even book readers, they get so excited when they're a part of your journey yes. and they're supporting you all the way. And for the second book I would do in my stories, I would share quotes, but if I got stuck, I'd be like, okay, Sophie's traveling the U S today. What's your favorite city and why, or what makes a psychopath really creepy to you? And like, they were just all in and it was great. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to give back. Um, I really wanted to not just with my coaching, but I wanted anybody if they were even remotely thinking about writing um, because I was such an avid reader and writer. And I was told growing up that nobody would ever buy what I had to write. And it made me put it down. Um, and it's one of the few things that I've regretted with my life. And so when I got into college, I was just writing, you know, the term papers and the things required, but I was not writing for me anymore. And it wasn't until um, I decided to get back to loving me for who I actually was that I'd started a blog and that was like 35. So there was a very long 15 year gap where I was kind of keeping that part quiet. And then I, even after I published two books of nonfiction, I, if somebody asked me what I did, I still couldn't say I was an author. And so I decided, I was like, listen, COVID or not, I'm in my forties and dang it, I'm going to bring that dream back. And, um, I really wanted someone else to be there for someone like me, because in the beginning, I didn't have any of that and I didn't have the confidence and stuff. So I came up with this half brain idea. I would start this podcast and I reached out to all sorts of different people, people I've met kind of in clubhouse because I didn't want it just being me talking. I mean, I can, <laughs> but right. I wanted, and I wanted to cover all aspects of writing. So um, it's not just authors. Uh, you actually get a taste of there's social media experts that I reach out to and they share their stories. There's bestseller authors, but there's also people just starting their journey. So it really covers from brand new, you know, just thinking about having the idea to being a bestselling author, to being an expert in some sort of portion of the author journey, because statistically a lot of people quit because it becomes too much work. And I think it's because more so that they don't know how to do what needs to be done. So 
I started Bookish Chatter, where first of all, we all admit our downfalls, things that didn't work, <laughs> things that did work. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm, I'm your go-to person of trying to keep as much hair on your head as possible, because eventually we will get to an age where it will just come out on its own. So there's no need pulling it out now. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, what is one important life lesson that you've learned throughout all of this? You know, I have learned that whether I'm writing fiction or nonfiction, your story matters. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. So right now, it's really difficult because the person, and I, I'm probably going to get emotional because she always, she always is the closest thing to my heart, you know, next to my parents. But my uh my nana was always the woman that would tell me every day how proud of me she was and um how much she loved me and to never forget that and uh when COVID hit she broke her tailbone and so she was living with my parents and we started seeing signs of dementia and stuff um and then we found out she actually has a cardiovascular disease that doesn't pump enough blood to her organs so her heart is struggling and her right lobe um, is moderately damaged and so she's getting more and more forgetful and her blood pressure drops it's all over the board so she'll pass out a lot um and like yesterday for the first time in my life, like she's never been mean to me, but because of the dementia, she was kind of nasty. And it was just like, like, you have to remind yourself that that's not who she is either. Yeah. And, um, but it's hard. It's hard. It was hard enough to say, okay, great. I'm going to lose probably one of my biggest supporters, but you know, we don't know if she's going to go tomorrow. We don't know if she's going to go for a year. And so, um, I believe COVID happened partly so that I could spend more quality time with her because she stays at my parents' house. So my mental health, I spend one day a week and I go over there and uh, we just, we usually talk about the same stories these days, um, which is fine. Um, I'm in a lot of them, so that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she remembers some of the funniest things and you know she she was such a avid uh, Elvis fan um, and her birthday is the same day as Elvis I will oh, wow. Elvis's birthday for as long as I live um, so it's fun to go over there and I have Alexa play Elvis songs and she'll sing to me and um, but I actually found that her she was inspiring more than i could have ever imagined for the sophie lee trilogy so first and foremost um suddenly this dream world was invented to where loved ones could talk to sophie after she passed and at the, after the first book i was kind of like okay I, you know maybe we're done and with me i am not a planner um, I have a few things, but the story really kind of gets away from me and writes itself. And so sometimes I write something and I'm like, oh, this is so good. And then nobody wants to hear it because they want to wait till the book is done. <laughs> and that's the worst part of writing. For me. <laughs> but uh, especially in The Protector, like this dream realm grew and it had rules. And 
I, I think, you know, at first the thought that family is such an important part because she always talks about how family is the most important thing to her. So that kind of became a theme. And then the realm of knowing that no matter if people leave, you know, leave you physically, they never truly leave you. Um, and so I now writing the books go and going back and, you know, reading them for editing and realizing how much she inspires, even though she will never know, she will never remember. I mean, I can tell her, but um, so it, it, you can't use the things that to hold you back because it may inspire. I feel like the second book was even better than the first one. So if you let the story come out, you'll like, it just, it makes you feel so good that you wrote something so epic. <laughs> and it was just because you were willing to share that story. And so, like I said, I'm such an avid it doesn't matter if it's fiction, nonfiction, if you have a heavy topic such as death or bipolar disorder or abuse, but sharing your story, I mean, it inspired my dad at 65 to go, you know what, I'm going to publish my own book too. And then he announced the other day, he's not doing one, he's doing two. So Ooh. I apparently am in publishing four books this year because <laughs> <laughs> I, I do a lot of the work for him, which is fine. But you just, you don't know until you share. And even though she may not ever fully comprehend how much she's inspired this story, we'll know, you know, and I'll know. Right. And now the world will know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. It comes a point in the show where the audience, we have listened and we've heard your heartfelt story that you just told us a little bit about right there. But we asked for you to give a little bit more. Um, I had a guy on here from out of New York City. Um, he's a rapper. He can twist words around, do whatever he wants to do with the English language and make a story with it. He can take in a Rubik's Cube. He can solve it in 40 seconds. Um, there was a lady in Georgia. She was an author. She wrote these really dirty books that were called Smut. Yeah. And, and um, anyway, she goes to Goodwills and gets uh, pictures, uh, like paintings and things. She puts rhinestones and glitter on them. She resells them, makes a lot of money. Um, got another lady. She's out of the middle of Virginia. Um, the sound of a Coke can opening like a carbonated drink will stop her day. It will cause her to, if she's in a car, hears it on the radio, she's got to pull over because it's like she's been in an accident. And these are all secret talents or things that people didn't know about them. Stormy, it's your turn. <laughs> um, so I've been doing interviews and we talk about my hodgepodge resume. I've been a professional dancer, which when I say I was a professional dancer in Vegas, they automatically assume stripper with the name Stormy, but that is not the case. <laughs> I would uh, dance for very famous people out there, and I was a sign language interpreter, um, nationally certified for eight years. Um, so a story uh, that a lot of people don't know, um, yeah. I, I still suffer PTSD with certain things. Um, 
for the longest time, my ex-husband drove a blue Focus and whenever, and that was really hard because there were a lot of blue Focuses out in the world. Um, it would cause me to have a panic attack and I would have to pull over and kind of cry it out. And the thing was, was he was, he had already passed at that time. So I knew it wasn't something that, uh, you know, was ever, it was never going to be him, but it's that mental, that mental game you have to play. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but with the, with the bipolar disorder, um, I always tell people, and I try to affirm them because it automatically comes with suicide thoughts, right? And I always tell people, you will never have to worry about me because first and foremost, I, I don't know when I figured this out, but I would just count them. And if I have a certain number, I usually call the psychiatrist now that I have someone to call and I'll be like, hey, we need to change my meds. <laughs> But um, I never get to the planning stage and my thoughts are never me doing anything to myself. It's things like uh, being in a car crash or something like that. So I already know that my life is too valuable for me to ever take on my own. And I used to interpret for the kids in the mental wards and i just vowed that that was never going to be a place where i was ever going to be so even on my darkest of days and i may shut down for a little bit i can always pull myself out of it um, because i know that my life still has meaning and that's, like I said, we don't talk about it in my family very often um, because that is my mother's biggest fear because she knows that that's what comes. But even on your worst of days, I have learned to celebrate the wins. So if I can't get out of bed, I just throw the covers off my legs and that's a win. Okay. I, put my feet on the floor. That's a win. I may not go walking, but if I put my shoes on and I tie them, that's a win. So there, yeah, it's messy inside my head. I, 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 there's no getting around it, but sometimes you have to take even what you would view as the very worst of you and figure out how to make it the best of you because you were given it for a reason like i said i spent a lifetime thinking it was a curse um how could god possibly give this horrible thing to me i mean i'm a hot mess as is <laughs> like so it's taken a lifetime to figure out that again it's a part of me and it doesn't define me and these interviews do make me nervous because it the first one i did it was a oh well i can't can't come back from that now <laughs> it's out <laughs> it's on the internet but sometimes you have to kind of push through that fear and share your story because maybe somebody listening today will do just that they'll push the covers off their legs. They'll put their feet on the floor and they'll sit up. They'll stand up and they'll get out of bed. And so just because life can be kind of crappy to you and you feel like you're cursed more than you're not, 
it's about it's about doing the little things and celebrating your wins so it is messy in my head but apparently it's making a killer fiction story <laughs> and so again you just you work with what you've got but never hate yourself for what you've got okay and I definitely like that. And one thing that I want to praise you when I'm going to keep praising you on this is uh, given that great testimony um, about the mental health, because that's something mental health, like, because I like COVID-19 for the simple fact that people are doing more with these stigmas. They're not being afraid to break down these barriers and they're not afraid to talk about it because everybody can go to a therapist for the rest of their lives. But you actually hear Tom, Dick, Harry, Stormy, and John all tell a story, a varied story of how they deal with it, how they live their life, and how they cope, uh, different mechanisms, uh, the whole roundabout way of how to deal with a day, 24 hours, or if you have more than 24 hours in a day, you know, to deal with that. That is an, a great testament. And as a person that has grown up with someone um, with uh, certain types of mental illnesses, uh, it's amazing that you had the fortitude to get out here and to talk about these things. And th that's something I want to give you a pat on the back about for the simple fact that nobody um, would be doing it if you weren't doing it. And the person that's after you um, that does it wouldn't have done it before the person that made you get out of your shell to do it, did it. So even though it's a trickling down effect and it started somewhere, we'll never know where it started. Um, the thing is that you all are doing this. Y'all are embracing this. You're not letting it keep you inside a house, or as I say, the four corners. You're not letting it hinder you um, or impair you. It may slow yeah. you down in certain areas that you may feel, but to everyone else, everything you do is a bit of progress. So you should love yourself for that. The self-care that you do for yourself, even though you may not have uh, paid attention to the things that you said in this interview, you sat here and told about numerous ways of self-care that you do for yourself that will inspire writers that will inspire um people that want to do podcasting and in the podcasting realm what you're doing is you're factorizing how to become an author that's such a hard thing for people to grasp because everyone's told you got to go the old school um yeah. take it to uh a big publisher and, and try to get it out there. So once again, that's something you should be proud of because even though people gain success through this, some people will not tell it. And you mentioned something that really sat deep with me, just like uh, how everyone talks about monetizing your podcast. You got guys out here that want to charge seven or $800 to do this. And mind you, with what we do over on my side, that'll, there'll be an announcement later on, on my Instagram about that kind of stuff. But um the thing is, is that, like you said, you don't have to spend a bunch of money with someone that holds on to the tried and true tradition of, oh, let's keep it a secret so we can yeah. make some money and other people can't make that much money. They can make some, but not a lot. And I like that you're willing to work with people to get these things going. And I encourage any author or fledging, upcoming, whatever type of author you are to come check you out at your website at chasingstormy.com <laughs> and following you and following you on instagram under the sharing guru or the story sharing guru and twitter under chasing stormy one somebody tried to take my name <laughs> so it has a one on the end of it <laughs> okay so with that much being said i want to thank you for being on west virginia and commonplace um the great thing that comes with doing podcasts and having your own podcast um 
the more and more you get out there on different podcasts, the more and more you'll see a different audience. Because uh, even though I live on, on top of some hills and I can see all the way to Arkansas, um, I still sometimes have to come to the flatlands and and do demographics and, and see things. And from the flatlands, it's hard to see up in the mountains sometimes. So reaching out, embracing other uh, cultures, different things like that. It seems like you do that throughout what you do. Um, in the future, I will definitely make sure that I get the Sophie Lee trilogy all in one bulk. Because here's the deal. With uh, anything that we do inside these podcasts, we do some research and get a little bit here and there. But the more that I heard about it, it seemed really interesting. Um, in the future, when you're ready to do the next book, I'd love to have you back on. Um, yes, and, and here's one special thing we do at the very end. Um, and here, you know, I already gave you your, your testimonial, but I'll give you your, your small bit here. Um, inside of what you do in life, right? There were people that, that helped you. There was me, myself, and I, and then there were other people. So would you like to give a thank you to the people that help you outside of me, myself, and I? I will forever be grateful to the OG Storm Chaser um, for always, you know, no matter what I do, she's proud of it. And I've done a lot of things, some things wacky, some things normal, some things not so normal. And she's just always been there for me. Um, my parents are a huge asset to me right now. They help keep me stable, uh, you know, during a crazy time for all of us friends, family, my followers, and my support system on the Instagram, and everybody listening here, because if I could provide you some sort of advice to help keep you going, then pay it forward. Just keep going, and, you know, it may be uncomfortable to talk about things like your story, whatever it is, but just don't hold on to it because just like maybe I helped you, you could help thousands of people. Okay. Okay. And that was great. So once again, I want to thank you for being on West Virginia and Commonplace. Um, and we will go forward with this interview. It will be out there in um, space real soon. Because um, <laughs> everybody's going away. Uh, one thing in podcasts, and I'll say at the very end of this, and I want everybody to hear this. For some reason, podcasters go on spring break. They don't celebrate any other, they don't celebrate Christmas or anything else. But but for some reason, podcasters go on spring break. So some people will have it, some people won't. Um, and I definitely want to thank you in this last bit for this. You're helping people. Um, every time you do something, you're a trendsetter. People fail to realize this, and you fail to realize that you're an influencer sometimes. So um, thank you for being great with your craft and, and how you carry yourself, um, even inside this interview and everything you do, because it, it means a lot um, for someone to stay classy, have a little sass, and still be professional. <laughs> we try. All right. <laughs> Those were lessons I learned from Nana, um, and we were talking about it yesterday, how she gave me class and you know definitely the sass but uh it's all about just being respectful and and staying true to who you are and your roots so thank you so much for having me on here this this has been one of my favorite ones so far all right and thank you once again west virginia and commonplace signing off